I come today to the 26th chapter of the book of Genesis. If you have your Bible, turn there. And if you have our notes and outlines, be sure and use them. And may I also add, if you do not have notes and outlines, we invite you to write in and ask for yours today. Now, frankly, when I was a much younger preacher than I am now, chapters like this worried me, especially here in the book of Genesis, when there's so many exciting chapters. And very frankly, when you read this chapter here, it doesn't seem to be very exciting. In fact, it isn't. It's rather colorless, uninteresting. In fact, it's sort of blah when you read it. And especially when you have an exciting man like Abraham here before this, then you have the exciting man Jacob that's coming before us now. And this chapter is all about Isaac. In fact, it's the only chapter that's really all about Isaac. And it doesn't seem to be very exciting. All he does is dig wells. And yet, in later years, I've come to examine these chapters and have found out that God has a message here for us also. In fact, a very important message, because we need to recognize that what Paul said is quite accurate. In Romans 15:4, he says, "...for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning." that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And this is a chapter to give some of us patience, because very frankly, I think this is a chapter for folk like some of us. I must say I come under this category, but don't get the impression by just reading this chapter, this is all God wants. I'm glad the Lord had a man around like Abraham and a man like Jacob and a man like David because they were go-getters, and they were aggressive, and that God can use also. But this chapter has a great message for many of us, and I'm sure that we're going to get it. Because, again, Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, with that thought in mind, let's come to Genesis 26. Here Isaac, the beloved son, has the covenant confirmed to him. And then we find him dropping into the same sin of unbelief that his father Abraham did. And then we see him digging these wells in the land of Gera. This doesn't seem to be very exciting, but there's a message here for us. And so today, let's not miss it. I'm reading now Genesis 26, verse 1. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gera. Now, this is the second famine that's mentioned. You remember the famine in the days of Abraham. And Abraham and Lot, they took off for Egypt. And notice what happens now. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down unto Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Now, why did God say that to this man, Isaac? Well, he had an example before him of his father who ran off down to the land of Egypt. 
that reveals the fact that like father, like son, that sins are carried from father to son. And you can talk about the generation gap all you want to, but there's no generation gap of sin. It just flows right from one to the other. And generally, the son makes very much the same mistake that the father did, unless something intervenes. Now, God says to this man Isaac at the time of the famine, "'Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee.'" Now, listen to God as he confirms the covenant that he'd made with Abraham. "'And I will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Now, you can see that God is merely confirming the covenant that he had made with Abraham. He says to Isaac, don't leave the land. Don't go to Egypt. I want to confirm my covenant that I made with Abraham with you. I'll give you this land. Now, not only that, verse 4 now. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, that is a repetition of the covenant God made to Abraham. And that is, there'd be a seed that would be the line that would have that land. And the land was involved. And he'd be a blessing to all nations. That's important to see. Now, he says, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, up to this point, God had not given any laws. That is, the Mosaic system. Abraham wasn't an under it at all. But the important thing is that when God told Abraham something, Abraham believed God and acted upon that. Abraham believed God and acted upon it. And that's the demonstration of faith today. We have too many people. They complain about there's no reality. A lady came in to talk to me some time ago, and she said, I believe, but I don't feel anything, and I'm not sure, and my, what a feeling of uncertainty. Well, you didn't have to talk to her long to find out that there's no action in her life whatsoever. She was just sitting in the corner, twiddling her thumbs and saying, I believe, and then expecting the house probably to fall in on her or some great something to take place. Well, that won't happen. When you believe God, you act upon God. If you should call me up right now and say, Dr. McGee, you go down to the bank there in downtown Los Angeles, I just put a certain amount of money down there for you, and I want you to go down there to get it. What do you think I'd do? Just sit right here the rest of the day? No, my friend, if you know me, you'll know that by the time that you are through speaking on the telephone, I will have had my hat on my head, and I'll start walking. I'll be down there. Faith is what you act on. It's something that you step out on. Abraham believed God. God counted it righteousness. And God now says to Isaac, I want you to be that kind of a man also. Now, 
Verse 6, And Isaac dwelt in Gerah, and the man of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, She's my sister. Now, Gerah's to the south. Abraham and Isaac all lived in the south part of that country. And actually, Abraham had come into the land way up in Shechem, up in the northern part. But he ended up by living down at Hebron, the place of communion. Now, Isaac dwelt in Gerah, and the man of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, "'She's my sister.'" For he feared to say, "'She's my wife,' lest,' said he, "'the man of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon.'" And believe me, we've already found out that she was a very beautiful person. But now Isaac again is repeating the sin of his father. Now, God warned him not to go to Egypt. He didn't go to Egypt, but he went to Gerah. And here in the land of Gerah, why, he says to Rebekah, as he saw the man of that place casting glances toward Rebekah, said, you tell him that you're my sister, not my wife. Now, the difference between Abraham and Isaac is that Abraham told a half a lie, and Isaac told a whole one. It was cut out a whole cloth the one that he's telling. Now he says in verse 8, "...it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah his wife." He's making love to her, by the way. Or, as the saying is today, they were having a love in. "...and it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety she's thy wife, and how saidest thou, she's my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this that thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lain with thy wife, and thou shouldst have brought guiltiness upon us. In other words, Isaac had put these people in danger of committing a sin. Then he goes on to say, And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, Abimelech became a very good friend of Isaac. Isaac had the respect of the community, just as Abraham did. Both of them are outstanding men. We are not apt to get that impression, by the way, from the rest of this chapter, and that's the reason I mention it here. He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. God's with him, you see, and that is the blessing that God promised to these people from the day called Abraham, was an earthly blessing. Well, later on, when he put them in that land, he says, I'll bless you in your basket. That is, I'll fill it with food stuff. And God made that good when they were walking in fellowship with him. Now, he's not promised us that. He's promised us spiritual blessings. We are told we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. And that is our portion today. And on the same terms, if you walk with God, if you today will 
permit him. He wants to bless you abundantly spiritually. Now, we find here that Isaac is greatly blessed. His field brings forth a hundredfold. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. Now, don't miss that, friends. This is a very important verse because the impression is that Abraham was outstanding and that Jacob was actually, but not Isaac. Well, let me say that Isaac is outstanding. And now somebody's going to come along and say to me, but look, his birth is tied in with that of Abraham. His life is not separated from Abraham. He is the one that's important and when he was offered there upon the altar. But again, it's Abraham and Isaac together. And why is that? Well, we have already seen this is a wonderful picture that we have here. All these things happen unto them for examples unto us. And it reveals the intimacy between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. He said, "...he that hath seen me hath seen the Father." And he could say to the Father in the great high priestly prayer in John 17, I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And then he said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, it's very proper that the story of Isaac and the story of Abraham be identified together. And that's been true. This is the first chapter that we see Isaac standing on his own two feet, and it doesn't look too attractive, but the Word of God makes it very clear that he not only waxed great, but he became very great in that land. And this man now exhibits this weakness, which is a real weakness, same sin as Abraham. Now we are told in verse 14 that he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him for all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Now, the Philistines just couldn't stand to see all this prosperity. And down in that land, why, Abraham had been digging wells. And this boy came along, they became his went out one morning and found out they were all filled up. The Philistines had done it. And this, by the way, is the first mention of the enmity of the Philistines that led to a continual warfare later on in the days of David. Now, verse 16, "...and Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we." Notice the important share of this man Isaac at this time. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gera and dwelt there. This man, Bimelech, he said, you're causing a great deal of difficulty now, and it'd be best if you left. He had great respect for Isaac, you can see. This is a part of the life of Isaac that looks like weakness, but it's not. Now, will you notice it? Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. Now, you see, he's returning back to that land where his father was. 
For the Philistines stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerah did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. Now, this reveals a struggle. And very frankly, you have here the water. And may I say that I feel the water is a picture of the Word of God. We are to drink deep of it. It's called the water of the Word. And it's for drinking purposes, to slack our thirst. And it's also for washing. You clean through the Word which I've spoken unto you. And water becomes a very important item in life. You can't have life without water. You can fly over this desert of Arizona, New Mexico, and California, and when you fly over it, you just see plenty of desert. Then all of a sudden, you see that which is just lush green, and you raise the question, what happened down there? Well, water is the only explanation. You can tell the same thing about the children of God today in any church. The difference is the Word of God, those that study the Word of God. And there's a struggle, friends. It's not easy. I think you almost have to pay a price today really going to study the Word of God. You can do anything. The devil will let you do anything except get into the Word of God. Now, verse 20. The herdmen of Gerah did strive with Isaac's herdmen. Now, verse 21. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Rehoboth. There's room for us. And we'll be fruitful in the land. We'll be a blessing. Now, notice this. He'd dig a well... And they'd take it away from him. And he'd move up and dig another well. They'd take that away from him. And what happens? Well, he just keeps moving up. This reveals, may I say, that Isaac is a man of peace and a man of patience. David wouldn't have done this. I can tell you that. Simon Peter wouldn't have done this. And if you want to know the truth, Vernon McGee wouldn't have done this. But it's a lesson for us here, and especially when it pertains to the Word of God. May I say we'll have to do some striving if we're really going to get the Word of God out. Now, we are told he went up from thence to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. Now, God appears to him to comfort him. God appeared to the patriarchs, you see, with the exception, of course, of Joseph here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he appeared to them. Now notice, he builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord, pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. Here he goes again. He's digging wells. You can always put a well down next to Isaac. You can put an altar down next to Abraham, and you'll put a tent down next to Jacob, as we'll see later on. 
Now we are told in verse 26, Then Abimelech went to him from Gerah, and Ahazath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the chief captain of his army. And Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. And we said, Let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us, and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee, that thou wilt do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee. You see, they had respect for this man Isaac. Now we're told, verse 34, And Esau was forty years old when he took the wife Judith, the wife of Barry the Hittite, and the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which was a grief of mine unto Isaac and Rebekah. Now today, friends, our study brings us to the 27th chapter of the book of Genesis. And if you have your Bible and will turn there, it'll make it more meaningful to you. And if you use our notes and follow along with them. Now, this chapter has as its theme Jacob and Rebekah conniving to get the blessing of Isaac for Jacob, which blessing old Isaac intended for Esau. But you see, Jacob wanted the blessing of his father. And he knew God had promised his mother that the elder would serve the younger, and the blessing was his already. He did not believe God. Rebekah's mother did not believe God. And evidently, Isaac, the father, didn't believe God. He would never have attempted to bypass Jacob and to give the blessing to Esau. He followed his feelings and appetite in contradiction to the distinct Word of God, the method of Jacob in obtaining this birthright, it cannot be supported on any grounds whatsoever. He used fraud and deceit. His conduct is despicable. You can't condone him at all any more than you could condone the conduct of Sarah and Abraham in the matter of Hagar and Ishmael. God could not use the trickery and cleverness of Jacob. And we're going to see that God deals with this man in a very definite way. He's going to pay Jacob for his sin in the same coin in which he sinned. And you will note that as we get now into this chapter here. That gives us preliminary that will enable us to understand now, last time we concluded in chapter 26 by saying that Esau was about 40 years old, and he took to wife a Hittite, and it was a great grief to Isaac and Rebekah for him to do that. And now they recognize that if Jacob is not to marry a Hittite or a Philistine, that he must be sent down just as Isaac got a bride from the family of Abraham, that is, from the same stock. Now will you notice chapter 27, verse 1. It came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, 
and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now, this man Isaac, we've already seen. He was an outstanding man, a great man. He's no weakling by any means, because we saw in the last chapter that Abimelech and the Philistines, they wanted to make a treaty with him because they feared him. And he was that type of a man. That is, he was an outstanding man of that day, very prominent. Now, he reveals here, though, that weakness of the flesh. All during his life, this boy Esau, and Esau was his favorite, and Jacob was the favorite of Rebekah, and Esau was the outdoor boy. And he'd go out, and he'd bring in a deer or some animal, and he'd fix it barbecue it for his father, and the old man enjoyed it. And now he's old, and he wants to bless the boy. Now, he knows God has said the elder will serve the younger, but he bypasses that because he wants to bless the boy. And he says, now go out and bring me in something, and I'll bless you because of it. My, what a revelation this is of this family. And have you noticed the strife that's in the families since we have come into this last major section of Genesis? There was strife in the family of Abraham because of Hagar. There's strife now in this family, these twins. Now, will you notice, Rebecca overheard that. And Rebecca heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son. And Esau went into the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, make me savory meat that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Now this is the plot and plan of Rebekah. And it's deceit, it's absolutely trickery, and it cannot be condoned on any basis whatsoever. And God's recording it as history, not that he condones it. He condemns it, and we're going to see that. You remember the things that are being done here, and you'll see chickens come home to roost for Jacob. Now she says to him, You obey me, you go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Now, he was not only an outdoor man, red man, but he was a hairy man. He was, I would think, the first hippie that there was. He grew hair everywhere. And I'm a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. Well, not only seem a deceiver, he is a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, put them upon Jacob, her younger son, 
and she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hand and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she'd prepared under the hand of her son Jacob. And friends, I can't help but comment on this. Now, she put the skin of the kid of the goat on the back of his neck and on the back of his hand. So when his father would feel him, why, he'd think that it was Esau. Not only did he feel him, friends, he couldn't help but smell him. And I want to say that apparently the deodorant that Esau was using was not very potent at all. fact of the matter is, I think he's like the whimsical story I heard about two men working in a very tight place and one of them finally said to the other, and he says, I think that the deodorant of one of us has quit working. And the other fellow says, must be you, because I don't use any. And friends, I don't think that Esau used any. And I'm not sure that he had a shower very often. This man not only felt hairy, but he smelt like a hippie too, by the way. May I say, you can't help but notice that as you go through here. And the thing that happened now, he came unto his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? The voice was not quite the voice of Esau's. Everything else, it was like Esau. And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And believe me, this boy at this particular point is a typical pious fraud. And you find many of them today in fundamental circles. They talk about the Lord leading them. And sometimes the Lord leads them to do some very unusual things. I find out sometimes that Christian men can do things that if the Mafia did it, and the Mafia does things like that, why, the Mafia would be arrested for it. But they very piously pray about it and say it's the Lord's will. I'm not always sure about that. And believe me, this boy, Jacob, at this point is a pious fraud because the Lord thy God brought it to me. The Lord had nothing to do with this, friends. Verse 21, And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. Isaac's suspicion something. But you see, Rebekah knew Isaac very well, and she had worked this thing out. And so Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And I think also the odor was too. I don't think there's any question about that. The hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hand. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I'll eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now, and kiss me, my son. He came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment. I told you that was there, friends. And blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven. 
and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be every one that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Now, he's giving a blessing he had received. He's passing it on, but the interesting thing is, it already was Jacob's. God had said that. God had already blessed. And God is not accepting this at all. You can write that down. Now, let me read verse 30. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting, and he also had made savory meat, brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I'm thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I've eaten of all before thou camest, and have blessed him, yea, and he shall be blessed. And somebody says, well, does venison taste like goat or lamb? It sure does. I remember several years ago that when I was pastor in Pasadena, that one of the offices there, he and I went deer hunting up in Utah, and we got a deer, but it wasn't enough to feed the congregation. We invited them in for a venison dinner, and it was just a time of good, wholesome fellowship, and we had a lot of fun. But we didn't have enough to go around, so we got two lamb legs, and that was cooked also, and nobody could tell the difference. Everybody said the venison is good. It tastes very much alike. Now, Isaac really sees he's been taken in. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? And he was a usurper. For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, and by thy sword shalt thou live and shall serve thy brother. It shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay 
my brother Jacob. In other words, my father's old. He won't live very much longer. And just soon as my father dies, I'll kill Jacob. I'll get rid of him. And that was the thought in the heart of Esau. Now, Rebekah's in the background, and these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, in Haran. You see here, again, Rebekah taking things in her own hands, and she tells Jacob now, you're going to have to leave home, and she's going to send him away from home. Tell the truth. She really paid for her part in this, her sin. She never saw this boy alive again. She just sent him over there for a little while, but she died before he got back. And you must remember that Jacob was her favorite, and that Esau was Isaac's favorite, and she wants to send him now over to Laban, her brother. And Jacob will go over there, and believe me, that's where he's going to learn his lesson. That's where chickens will come home to roost. Old Uncle Laban is going to put him in school, and he's going to teach him a few things. Now, Jacob thought he was clever, but Uncle Laban was an expert at it, and Poor Jacob was just an amateur, and he's going to cry out in desperation to God before it's all over. Now, notice what she says. Tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away. A few days, a few days lengthened out to 20 years. And during that interval, why, she died. She never saw her boy again, her favorite her pet, if you please. Now, verse 45, "...until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day?" And after all, Esau's not going to think too much of his mother after this little episode, by the way. And now we read here, And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? Now, you see, Esau had married these heathen, the godless, and already it was bringing Sarah into the home, and even Rebekah was overwhelmed by it. Now she says if Jacob turns around and does this same thing, and he probably will if he stays here, you see she could use this as an excuse to get Jacob away from the home because Esau is seeking for his life. And that moves us now into chapter 28. And she has a little conference with Isaac, and Rebekah and Isaac determined now that the thing to do is to send Jacob back to the family of Laban, back where Rebekah had come from herself, you see. Abraham's servant had gone and gotten her. Now the point is to send Jacob back there 
to get a wife. If you get him away from the place of danger, his brother would try to kill him. Now, very frankly, I think if he'd stayed there, that probably that would have happened. However, the fact of the matter is that Rebekah died first, and Jacob did get back for his father's funeral. Now you find in chapter 28, and I'm reading now verse 1 of chapter 28, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. All the way through the Old Testament, you find that God does not want the godly to marry the ungodly. And that, again, is my reason for believing that in the 6th of Genesis, that all you have when the sons of God looked upon the daughters of man, it's the godly line marrying with the godless line of Cain, which finally brought the judgment of the flood and only one man left. Now, that inner marriage always leads to godlessness. And I'd say this word just of caution. I recognize we're living in a day when young people are not apt to take advice from certainly an old preacher. They say, my, what does he know? And if you really want to know the truth, I know a whole lot about this particular matter. I have seen case after case where some little girl or some little boy, they come to counsel, well, I've met a fellow, he's not a Christian, I'm going with him, and he's proposed to me, and I think I'm going to marry him, and I can win him for the Lord. And little girl, if you can't win him before you get married, you'll never win him after you get married. You can be sure of that. Same thing at hold for the young man, and God forbids it. It always entails sorrow. I have seen literally hundreds of cases, and I've never yet seen a case where it works. Never yet. You can't beat God. God has put down too indelibly all the way through the Word. When the godly marry the godless, what happens? Look at Ahab and Jezebel. And in the New Testament, it's strictly told Christians that they are not to be unequally yoked. And that's the way you get unequally yoked, not by just sitting on the platform of somebody, but by intermarrying. That's the way you join up with them, by the way. And that is the thing that is going to happen. Now, Isaac sends Jacob away. He says, Arise, go to Paden Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Now he sends him back to Laban. And believe me, old Laban is quite a trickster himself. And Jacob is in for it. I can tell him that right now, but he doesn't know it. But he's sure going to find out about it. Now, last time we saw one of the most despicable and honorary things that any man could do, and that's what Jacob did. And he did it at the behest of his mother. And this is not a case of where I think that we can say, well, the reason I'm such an oddball or I do certain things and I'm so mean is because my mother didn't love me when I was a boy. Well, believe me, Jacob couldn't say that. Jacob was loved and spoiled and asked to do something that is not quite the honorable thing to do. And so he did it. He stole the birthright from his brother. It is already his, the formality of his father giving the blessing. 
wasn't necessary at all. Abraham hadn't given it to Isaac. God had. And it's God that gave it to Jacob. And this thing that he's done was not necessary, but God will deal with him because of it. You can be sure of that. Now, the thing Rebecca's thought of, and it's very plausible, logical. In fact, it was the thing to do in this case, was to send him back to her brother so that he'd get away from the wrath of his brother Esau, which Rebecca didn't mention to Isaac. But she did mention the fact that he could choose a wife back there in her family. And so Jacob now is going to be sent away from home. And Isaac called Jacob, and I'm reading now at verse 1 again, and I'll read on from here. And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paden Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. Now, obviously, Isaac understands that the blessing that had been given of God was transferred to him, and now he understands it's to be passed on to his son Jacob. Verse 5, And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Paden Aram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. When you ask the nationality of these people, you have to say they're Syrians. That's what they're called here in Scripture. Now, you could say that actually of Abraham, that he was a Syrian. That is the way that you could designate him. Sometimes the question is asked, was Abraham a Jew? Was he an Israelite? No, he was not. It was not an Israelite until we come to Israel, until you come to Jacob, not until you see his twelve sons. The line came from Abraham, but Abraham is the father. But you're not going to call Abraham a Midianite, I hope, and yet he's the father of the Midianites also. Now, Isaac sends Jacob away, though, and he's to make this trip. Now, notice verse 6, when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paden Aram to take him a wife from thence. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Paden Aram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. And here Esau goes out and marries daughters of Ishmael. He thinks that will please his father. You see what a lack of spiritual perception he had, that the Ishmaelites were as much rejected as 
any of the Philistines were rejected, or any of the Canaanites. Now, will you notice? I begin reading at verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. Now he's traveling north. He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillars and lay down in that place to sleep. Now the place he's come to, we'll see in a moment. The name of it is Bethel, the house of God. I want to say a word about it, but before I say a word about it, you will notice that he's traveled quite a distance. Actually, Bethel, where he came the first night, is 12 miles north of Jerusalem. And he was, I would say, a good 20 miles south of Jerusalem, and probably more than 20 miles south, probably 25 or 30 miles south. Well, that means that he covered at least 40 miles that day. You can see that he is really hot-footing it away from Esau. He wants to get as far from him as he can. But the farther he gets from Esau, the farther he gets away from home. And this is Jacob's first night away from home. What do you think his feeling was that night? Well, he was very lonely, that is for sure. He also was homesick. This is his first night, as far as the record is concerned, that he was away from home. Do you remember the first night that you were away from home? Do you recall that? I certainly remember the first night I went away from home, and it was just down the road. We lived in a country in a little place called Springer, Oklahoma. And they tell me it hasn't done any springing since then, that it's still a small place, wide place in the road. And we had some neighbors and some very wonderful friends that lived down the road. I don't suppose it seemed to me like in that day it was five miles. It couldn't have been over a mile, I'm sure. I was amazed when I went back there later on to find out how close things were together. I thought it was pretty well spread out, but it wasn't. Very close together. And so this must not have been over a mile. But it seemed like five miles to me in that day. And I never shall forget these people invited me to come down and spend the night. They had a boy about my age. and I don't know how old I was, nine, ten maybe. And so I went down with him. He'd come up to get me, and we went down. I never shall forget, we had a delicious dinner, and I enjoyed it that evening with these folks. It was in the country, good country dinner. And then we played hide-and-seek, and it got dark. And I didn't pay too much attention, but every now and then I looked into the darkness, and I began to get just a little homesick. But it wasn't until somebody said, it's time to go to bed, and they put a pallet down in the front room, no living room in that day, just put a pallet down. And I had brought my little night shirt under my arm, and I put it on, and I lay down on that pallet. Friends, I have never been as lonely in my life as I was then, and homesick. Oh, how I wanted to go home. 
And you know what happened? I rolled and tossed there for a long time. I finally dozed off, and I slept for a while, but I waked up very early in the morning. And you know what I did? I took my nightshirt off, put on my clothes, put my nightshirt under my arm, and I started running home. And I didn't stop till I got there. Nobody was up, but I sure was glad to get home. First night away from home. And after that, I went a long ways from home, but I never was any more homesick than I was that first night. I've always thought that Jacob, he's a pretty big boy at this time. He's a man, but he's homesick. This is the first time he'd been away from Rebecca. He'd been tied to his mama's apron string all of his life, and now it's untied, and he's out on his own. And this is the first night away from home. Now, will you notice what happens? He lies down. He puts stones for pillars. And this is a pretty dreary place. I'd like to give you a description of it that's given by another. It's been described as a bleak moorland, large, bare rocks that are exposed 1,200 feet above sea level in the hills. And I suppose that there are many places out on the desert here in California that would correspond to it. In fact, the matter is, I know it. I remember going up through that country in a bus, and that was the disadvantage of being with a bus tour. I wanted to go up there. The others wanted to go to other places that, to me, were not nearly as important as Bethel. I wanted to see it. And all we got in, I suppose, a half a mile of it, the bus driver pointed it out, and I said, I'd like to walk up there. He said, well, we don't have time. And so I didn't get up there, but I could see it in the distance. And this certainly is an apt description of it. It's a bleak and forbidding place as far as the topography is concerned. But it was the high point spiritually in the life of Jacob, not only here, but later on. And this is the place that he came to. And we're told as he lay that night and he was asleep, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it unto thy seed. And it was right in that area, by the way, where God first appeared to Abraham there in the land. Verse 14, And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, God is giving to this man, you see, exactly what he given first to Abraham, he repeated it to Isaac. Now he confirms it and reaffirms it to Jacob that he'll do this. Now God says to him, verse 15, And behold, I'm with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and I'll bring thee again into this land, for I'll not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. 
Now, you can see how this would be comforting and helpful to a lonesome, homesick boy that has really had to leave home in a hurry. And he's on the way to a far country. And this was a great comfort and help to him. God says, I'm going to be with you, Jacob, and I'm going to bring you back in this land. But the vision that he gave him in that dream was of a ladder that reached up to heaven. And God spoke to him. Now, what does that ladder mean? Well, our Lord interpreted that when he called Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a wiseacre, by the way. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And our Lord, I tell you, he dealt with this fellow. And when he said, how in the world do you know me? Why, he said, I saw you on that fig tree. Well, he said, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. The Lord Jesus said, you're pretty easy to convince. And he was. He was a skeptic at the beginning of the ministry of Christ. It took Thomas three years before he got the light. But notice this man, Nathaniel. The Lord Jesus said to him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. Well, what will he see? And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, what is that ladder? Well, that ladder's Christ. And God, from the top of the ladder, in heaven, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And God is speaking to man through Christ today. You can't come to God directly. I hear people say today, every now and then in a testimony, somebody said, well, when I was converted, I just came directly to God. I have access to God. You do not, my friend. You come through Christ. We have access through Christ, through the grace that we have in Christ. That's the only way you and I get into God's presence. This is the ladder let down from heaven that sinners might not climb while the angels of God are ascending and descending on it. You see, they come from Him, the Lord Jesus Himself. Now, it is first given to old Jacob, usurper. Nathaniel, our Lord said to him, You are an Israelite in whom there's no guile. That is, there's no Jacob. He's no trickster. Nathaniel wasn't. He's just a wiseacre. He's just being humorous. But this man, Jacob, God is going to have to deal with him. And he gives him this wonderful, glorious promise. But now listen to Jacob. Oh, he has so much to learn. And isn't that true of all of us today? No wonder God has to school us. No wonder God has to discipline us. Every son he receives, we're told that he scourges him. He disciplines him. He did Abraham. He did Isaac. He's going to do Jacob. Everything's been going Jacob's way. You know, so many people, they're just members of the church. They don't know the Lord at all. They're just church members and just the biggest hypocrites in the world. And the Lord has to shake us, you see. And these things come to us. They discipline us. They put iron in our backbone. They put iron in our blood, too. And they put courage in our lives and enable us to stand for God. 
Jacob's got a long ways to go. So let me read verse 16. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, this is a passage of Scripture that I use many times and have used many times in dedicating new churches. I have dedicated, I think that in the past 20 years, I have dedicated, I think, 25 new churches. And I've used this, I suppose, more than any other passage of Scripture. I have another one in Acts that I use a great deal. But how dreadful is this place? And I think I shocked some people, especially when you got a congregation that have come in to dedicate the lovely new facilities they have today. And here I get up and I look around and I say, how dreadful is this place? And then I proceed during the rest of the time to try to win them back to become friends of me by telling them that the place is only dreadful to a fellow like Jacob running away from his family, a trickster, a sinner, actually running away from God. And this is the thing he discovered. He says, the Lord's in this place, and I didn't know it. When Jacob ran away from home, he had a limited view of God. He thought when he ran away from home, he was running away from God also. He thought he left God back down at his home. And he found out that he hadn't. The Lord's in this place. And God says, I'm going to be with you. And because of that, how dreadful, though, is this place. And the only thing that can make a house of God dreadful is the fact that you're a sinner trying to run away from God. And every house of God, every church ought to be a dreadful place to any sinner running away from God because that's where he ought to be able to meet God and come face to face with God through the ladder that's been let down from heaven, even Christ. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put for his pillars and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow. Now listen to Jacob. You know, he's got a lot to learn, and this is an evidence of it. Listen to him. If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I'll go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. What's he doing? He wants to trade with God. He says, now, Lord, if you'll do this for me, and God's already told him he's going to do it for him. God has already said every one of these things. God says, I'm going to keep you and I'm going to bring you back to this land, and I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give you offspring. Now, Jacob turns around and says, if you'll do this. He wants to trade with God. And he says, if you'll do it, then I'll serve you. God doesn't do business with us that way, and he didn't do business with Jacob that way. If he had, Jacob would never have made it back to that land. God brought him out of the land God brought him back into that land by his grace and mercy. And when finally Jacob did come back to Bethel, 
And he came back a wiser man. And you know what he came back to do? To worship and praise God for his mercy. God had been merciful to him. You don't trade with God. A great many people even today said, Now I'll serve the Lord if he'll do. You won't do anything of the kind, friends. He doesn't do business that way. He'll extend mercy to you. He'll be gracious to you. But he doesn't ask anything in return. But he does say this, that if you love him, that you'll really want to serve him. And that will be the bondage of love, the same kind of love a mother has for the little child, and she becomes its slave. That's the way that he wants you, and that's the way he wants me. And so Jacob, he puts up, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou wilt give me, I'll surely give the tenth unto thee. Isn't he a traitor to God? And a great many of us are trying to do business with God. He's not doing business, friends. He wants to become your father through faith in Christ, and you don't have to do business with him.